Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kenno Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Welcome to the Azure Podcast. This is episode 464 being recorded on June the 7th, 2023. I'm Russell Young and I'm joined by Kale. And our guest speaker today is Saga Chanda Reddy Lankala. I hope I got that right, bit of a bit of a mouthful. Um, and he's one of Microsoft's program managers in the engineering org. Um, before we hand over to to talk to Saga um, a bit more about his topic, we'll um, we'll just discuss some of the uh, announcements that have been out this week. And I see, Cal, you've got quite a few uh, new bits and pieces in there that look quite interesting. Yeah, I got a handful here. I'll go through them quickly, uh, and we'll drop links in the show notes. But the uh, uh, real quick, some of these are public preview. Some are GA on the public preview side. Uh, for those who've been using our GPU type. SKUs in the cloud, we have these uh, new ones called NGADs, uh, which is the V620 series VMs. These have the AMD Radeon Pros in them. Um, so these are optimized for gaming experiences. Uh, same stuff, like you can partition the GPU to less than one if you need it, uh, up to one. And then also it has some uh, the actual optimized driver for the cloud, which is pretty cool. Um, so check that out. That's in public preview. We have a, a GA for uh, Azure Data Explorer, for those who are using that, the uh, Kusto emulator, which previously was only available for, for Windows containers, is now available uh, as a Linux uh, Kusto emulator as well. And this basically allows you to run that query engine uh, in a Linux Docker container. Um, so that's a pretty quick one, but that's a GA, uh, something that's been in preview before. We have uh, some other new stuff uh, with some of our partners in the ISV space. Uh, there's the uh, Datadog, for those who are familiar with the, uh, there's a native service in Azure uh, called Datadog that basically has been out there for a long time, you know, huge customer base on that. And this is basically a native ISV service that they're now bringing uh into Azure. Uh, this has been the stuff that they have had in, in Azure to date has been since like 2021. So it's been around for a while. Uh, but this basically allows, you know, greater expansion, you know, multiple subscriptions. There's a bunch of new features that they've added in there. Um, I can't go through them all here. There's some stuff around log forwarding and things like that that are different. So take a look at that. Um, we'll go ahead and put the show notes out there in the show notes for that one. The other one that I usually cover here uh, quite a bit, and it comes up a lot you know, with, with customers and partners that I work with, is cost management. Um, so this continues to keep you know, iterating and adding more features here. Typically, these things are around how to better slice and dice and be able to um, view into what's going on in your Azure subscriptions, uh, be able to manage that better from a cost perspective, uh, obviously. And so there's a bunch of new updates there around different data centers, some geography updates. There's some new strategy, optimization strategies that have been added in there um, to help you, uh, along with a bunch of learning content that has come along with this too. So super cool stuff there. And the last one I have is something we actually talked about in the podcast in the past, and this was about uh, the Azure Linux uh, operating system. So that's been GA now. And, you know, for those who were paying attention in past podcasts, we had some folks in here talking about CBL Mariner, uh, which was 
the common base Linux uh, Mariner project for the internal Linux distro that we were working on. And this is the kind of GA version of that um, that runs, you know, obviously inside Kubernetes and things like that as a container host uh, for that. So basically, um, pretty cool. You know, it's finally out there in, in GA form. Cool. Thanks, Carl. Yeah, I was reading the cost management updates, actually. There's a lot of stuff that's gone in there, a lot of little tweaks and features that have gone in to make cost management a lot more effective. Um, but the interesting thing I took from that was their willingness to listen to requests from customers and really make that product better. So um, if there's something, you know, a feature that you find you're missing, then then do report it into the to the product team. I, I think they're pretty responsive. Um, listening in on last week's one, obviously we had build. Um, recently, we had uh, a lot of announcements come out from that. Um, there are a few that that um, Sujit went through, and a few that went under the radar a little bit. I think AI was one of the the biggest announcements, one of the key features of everything that's going on and happening nowadays. But um, one of the announcements that came out was around this Azure OpenAI um, Studio. So the Azure AI Studio adds some new capabilities um, to allow you to really harness that capability of the the generative AI models that we've got now. Um, and to be able to ground that Azure OpenAI service and those models uh, on your own data. Um, so that's come out in preview and uh, well worth a, a play with. Um, Azure deployment environments has been a really exciting one for me and, and generating a lot of buzz with, with my customers. Um, and, and hence, Sagar is going to cover this in a lot more detail in a minute. So I'm not going not to delve into it at the moment. Um, another few that we had, Azure App Spaces, um, which uh, is a, it sounded like a strange one to me to start with, but it's what they're trying to do here is it's, it's a kind of an intelligent place to deploy and manage applications. So uh, what you do when you create one of these app spaces, you, you tell it where your repos are and it will go off to the repo and look at the code and understand what kind of a solution it is that you've got in that repo. And then it will try and figure out you know, what's the best hosting solution for it? So is it app service or is it container apps or, or static web apps? Um, and it generates uh, and automates the deployment pipeline for you. And it will even provision databases for you as well so that sit alongside it. So whether it's Azure SQL, Postgres or, or Mongo, what have you. Um, so it's really simple. And um, you just give it a few parameters like what region you want it to be in, what subscription you want to deploy to, um, fill out a few other parameters like the names and, and off it goes and does it. Um, so that's quite a nice one. Um, and one that has, didn't seem to get a great deal of, of publicity was the Azure API Center, which is in preview at the moment. Um, and this is a new service that's come out and it's it's kind of extending the capability of API management platform in Azure. And um, it enables tracking APIs for centralizing the discovery, reuse and governance of all of the APIs that you might have. So all of those APIs that have spread and proliferated across your organization, you can now kind of monitor and manage from a central place, um, including all the stuff that you need to be wary of with APIs like versioning, um, the specifications for the APIs, where they're deployed to, what environments they're in, and you can add custom metadata to it as well. So it's a way of kind of bringing that governance together, um, which I think will be really nice. And that's free of charge in preview while that's there. Um, and the last kind of couple to mention around GitHub. So uh, GitHub Advanced Security, which is um, a tool that goes off to your to your repo. So typically it's been a, a feature within GitHub that goes off and scans your code, looks for vulnerabilities and secrets and stuff like that that you may have checked in inadvertently. Um, and it also does automatic dependency scanning before you, you merge your pull requests in to make sure you're not bringing in new vulnerabilities from uh, third party components and things. That has been around for GitHub for quite some while. That is now available 
as part of uh, well in preview for um, Azure DevOps as well. So it's called GitHub Advanced Security for Azure DevOps or GASFADO if you want to uh, abbreviate it as, as most of my team would do. So there's a lot of buzz around that at the moment. That's a, a really nice feature that's um, kind of bringing parity across the two DevOps platforms that, that Microsoft provide. Um, the only other thing that's creating a load of buzz that I just wanted to mention, it's not really an announcement that's come out, but um, there was a, a, a great session that Mark Rosinovich and Scott Hanselman did on Build, um, and it was called Mark and Scott Learn to Code. And they basically did a session that demonstrated Copilot, GitHub Copilot for business, um, but this new feature called Copilot Chat that sits inside your IDE, where you can basically just give it conversational text and commands to do things. Um, so I got access to it last week and I've been playing with it in one of my demo environments. One of the things I told it to do, I'd hard coded a whole load of um, locations. So I just put my own Southampton in there as the as the location in there. And I thought, oh, I sure want to make this a parameter now. And I just said to get our copilot, turn the word Southampton into a command line parameter and uh, do that throughout my code file. And it went off and did it for me. So um, AI really is going to take a lot of the, the drudgery out of uh, out of coding, and it and it did it first time. It worked, compiled, and and did the job. So really pleased with that. Um, that's it for now for me. And yeah, so Azure deployment environments and uh, Sagar, if you'd like to introduce yourself and pronounce your name correctly as well for people, <laughs> I know I made a bit of a hash of it, so apologies for that. But um, no, over to you to tell people about your role and um, what Azure deployment environments is all about. Absolutely, yes. Um, Thank you. Firstly, thank you. Thank you for having me on the Azure podcast. I am Sagar Lankara, and I'm a senior product manager in Microsoft Developer Division. I own a few services in Azure uh, that are aimed at improving developer productivity, and Azure Deployment Environments is one of them. So Azure Deployment Environments was introduced last year at Build. It is a new service that empowers developers to self-serve application infrastructure using standardized infrastructure as code templates that establish consistency and best practices while maximizing for security, compliance, and governance. So that's that's the Azure Deployment Environments in a nutshell. So we, uh, so we, we uh, basically speak about two personas when we speak about deployment environments. One, developers. A developer will be able to quickly and easily create infrastructure that they need to deploy and test their applications. While on the other hand, Deployment environments also enables enterprise platform engineers to pre-configure all of the Azure governance-related uh, aspects such as identity management, access control, subscriptions uh, to various development teams and provide this infrastructure as code templates so that developers will be able to create environments on their own. Okay, so first question, when you talk about infrastructure as code, are we talking ARM templates here? That's a great question. So until until very recently, we were supporting only Azure Resource Manager templates, especially during the previews, we were supporting only Azure Resource Manager templates. Last, a couple of weeks back at Build, we announced support for Terraform as well. So we uh, will be launch, publicly launching the Terraform support very soon, but for now, if any customer is interested in trying out the Terraform support in deployment environments, they can sign up for AK at aka.ms-ade-terraform-signup, and um, and they'll be able to they'll be able to um, you know get on the list for early access. We we'll we expect to onboard them in the next two to three weeks. Okay, we'll we'll put that link in the show notes. Um, I just just uh, following off on the same question when I mentioned ARM templates. Do, what about bicep as well? Is is bicep kind of natively supported as part of this? Uh, so 
with bicep it's we are we support it indirectly so uh, for example we have a sample catalog that we provide for the customers to get started with the service quickly even in that sample catalog we wrote those templates in bicep and then there is a quick and easy way to convert those bicep files into arm files and then um, they'll be able uh, they'll be able to provide it and use it to create environments having said that native bicep support and in fact other infrastructure as code frameworks like polomi uh, teragrunt uh, ansible those support would be coming very soon uh, to be honest terraform uh, was a long pole for us because we had to make some infrastructural changes before we can support terraform now that we have completed it we don't expect supporting more um, uh, more frameworks would be uh, would take us uh, a long time so we we expect that more support for base bicep polomi teragrunt ansible and other popular frameworks will be coming very very soon so, so backing up a little bit, uh, Azure Deployments Environments is, I won't say it's new, but it's relatively new, right? We had something called Azure Dev Test Lab. So what's the, can you compare and contrast them? Like, when should I use one or should I not use one and only use the other? Like, I don't know. No, that's a great question. Actually, uh, interestingly, I'm the product manager for Azure DevTest Labs as well. When I was introducing, I said that I own a few services in Azure. One of them is Azure DevTest Labs as well. Uh, Azure DevTest Labs, Azure Deployment Environments, and Microsoft DevBox. So Azure DevTest Labs, we introduced it almost seven years back. Uh, seven years back, like in 2016, when Agile was very primitive. And it is very, very heavily focused on virtual machines. As we all know, over the last few years, the applications have only got complex. And at the same time, we have released a number of specialized services. During the introduction, I think you're you speaking about app spaces like container apps and so on. Those are specialized services that we have introduced to uh, run specific workloads. So a, a development team needs more than a virtual machine to deploy and run uh, uh, environments or, or their applications today. And that is where Azure deployment environments come in. So Azure DevTest Labs is used in a variety of scenarios, but it is very heavily focused on virtual machines. It could be a test considered as a test VM scenario or a developer desktop is one of the scenarios where DevTest Labs is used. But then uh, we introduce Microsoft DevBox for the developer desktop. So we can talk about DevBox in some other session. But uh, for deployment environments, it is the ability for developers to create a bunch of Azure resources. It could be a uh, past services like you know container apps, app service, which is connected to some databases behind the scenes, uh, which is connected to some shared AKS clusters, accessing secrets from a key vault. All of these resources together might be in one single virtual network. So these are a bunch of resources that are required to deploy and run an application, and that is what that is where Azure deployment environments comes in. And Azure deployment environments is very extends the concept of landing zones and it makes it easy for the development teams to uh, leverage the leverage landing zones so that is how we have built azure deployment environments to cater to complex environment scenarios which which uh, you know requires more than virtual machines so i saw as part of that kind of demo catalog that you put together that there's one in there called sandbox which just didn't have anything in it, it is that is that just about giving a developer the ability to just create something in an Azure subscription that they've got access to and they can then log into the portal? Do they get access to other stuff? How does that how does that bit work? Yeah, I love I love that we are getting into the scenarios, right? So we we spoke about developers having easy, quick access to create infrastructure on their own, right? So there are different 
scenarios in which a developer wants to create an environment. One, like let's say I'm a developer, I'm building a new feature. I would like to see the new, uh, the new feature in action in a real-time environment before even I check in my code, complete the pull request, and then go to a shared environment. I would like to spin up an ad hoc test environment where I can see the changes as I'm making it. Right. So we call it the ad hoc or on demand environment scenario where a developer will be able to go create once, deploy their application, test it out, identify and fix issues sooner, uh, sooner and uh, ship high quality applications. It's it's a shifting it's shifting the uh, testing left scenario, I would say. The second scenario in which a developer ad hoc on demand wants an environment is a sandbox environment. That is, uh, it's a playground where they can experiment with new services. Like for example, let's say I'm a, uh, I'm a developer on a team on a very big application that has been there for the last several years and Microsoft um, released the OpenAI service. I would like to see how open, how I can leverage OpenAI for my application without disturbing uh, or affecting um, my production workloads first. So I'll just go ahead and create a sandbox environment where I will have some elevated privileges, right? Elevated privileges, and I'll be able to co-create additional resources like OpenAI. And what would that work best with? Like the resources that I have in my environment, play around with it, and then uh, spin it down. So this is like short, a short living environment, especially in enterprises. What we see is enterprises want to provide that flexibility to the developers, but within some guardrails. That is um, probably having an auto expiry. They they would like to say that uh, oh, this sandbox environment can live for a maximum of seven days, right? Or we were working with a Danish customer uh, customer from uh, Denmark, and um, uh, they were saying that they want to clear, they want to uh, spin down all of their uh, sandbox environments on every Friday. So basically, they would like to have a configuration in such a way that all of the sandbox environments are automatically deleted on a Friday. So the sandbox have some peculiar um, uh, configuration that it might be related to access control or that might be related to lifetime of the environment. Access control is something that we already provide. Uh, the lifetime of the environment, controlling the lifetime of the environment is something that we are currently working on and we expect to release in the ne over the next few months. So what, yeah, that's really interesting scenario that you just, it, it changed the way I'm thinking about those sandboxes because I'd always thought of it as, as a developer, I'm going to start something new, I need a sandbox, right, I'm going to put all my resources in there, then do some work. But actually what you could be using it for is I've already got my developer environment and I've got my product that's currently working. I'm doing my new feature. Now I can spin up some other resource in my sandbox, connect to that, test it out, make sure it works okay before then integrating it. And I guess that was gonna be my next question was leading on to how does this sit along with that normal CI CD pipeline? Does it replace it? How does it how do you get stuff to production as part of how, how do you how do you complement the two things together? That's actually uh, that's actually the third scenario. So there are three scenarios in which a development team uses it. One is uh, we talked about the on-demand uh, shifting the left, uh, uh, testing left scenario, um, sandbox scenario, and then the CI/CD pipeline scenario. So we uh, so as part of CI/CD pipeline as well, uh, customers will be able to use the, for example, today they'll be able to use the AZ CLI um, extensions uh, to directly create environments as part of their different stages in their pipeline, right? Uh, actually, at Build, we uh, showed a demo where 
all of this can be automated. Like I spoke about a developer uh, creating an on-demand environment, right? Rather than that, uh, enterprises, like we have a couple of enterprises, even while we are in preview, who have um, automated this process where they say that where uh, where when as a developer, I'll go ahead and let's say I'm assigned a new feature. I go, I typically, what, what would I do? I go ahead and create a new branch. As soon as I create a new branch, a, a test environment gets created for me automatically with the branch code in it. As I'm making changes, I'm able to see those changes reflect in that environment directly so that I'm able to um, identify any issues very quickly and fix them rather than having to wait for days after the pull request review and everything to do that. Similarly, after the pull request is done, uh, uh, when a pull request is created, automatically a new environment gets created uh, that is specific to that pull request that gets shared with the pull request reviewers as well. So the pull request reviewers as well, they're not reviewing the code in, in blind, uh, blindly, but they are looking at the changes, how the code has impacted the uh, imp impacted the application and then provide some meaningful comments. Um, and finally, again, these environments live only for the time when they're actually in use. So but as soon as the pull request is merged, the environment automatically gets deleted. Like let's say I'm done with my feature, I will delete my branch. The environment, the branch environment gets deleted as well. So that is all of this can be automated and then it will go on. It, it will proceed to the CI/CD, the standard regular CI/CD pipeline for a shared dev environment, testing environment, the staging, pre-prod, prod. So all of those environments can be created using deployment environments as well. And the benefit there is we are using infrastructure as code templates to create these environments. So let's say I want to, you know, a development team want to upgrade their infrastructure. Let's say there's a, there's a newer version of a, a cloud service that's uh, rolled out and they want to upgrade it. They can just go ahead and make the changes in the infra, infra as code template when they're performing the next deployment. Um, all of those changes gets reflected in all the stages rather than a development team trying to go and manually change the configuration in each of the stages, which take which saves a ton of time. In fact, internally, one of the Microsoft teams saved over 12 hours of time per week when, when they are using deployment environments in a CI-CD pipeline scenario. And that's massive time savings for a development team, as we can imagine. Yeah, along with that, you've been mentioning like uh, creating environments and things like this on the fly. Maybe you could talk a little bit to like the permissioning and security aspects of this. Like, how does what you guys built with these uh, deployment environments like impact me as a developer? Because sometimes, like you know, if we go old school, it's like, oh, I have to give this guy all these permissions because he's going to create an AKS cluster and then he's going to do this and this and this. So does that kind of decouple that a little bit too, so we don't have so much exposure? You know, yeah. That's that's a Great question and a great transition to platform engineering, right? So until now, we have been speaking about the value props or the value that the developer gets out of using the service. Let's talk about the other side. And this is geared towards an enterprise scenarios. And, and in an enterprise, what we typically see happening is um, uh, you know, there's a team uh, that sits in between the central IT team and a, a development team that is responsible for providing the developer infrastructure. We used to call them the dev infra teams. Nowadays, we, you know, the, the term that is being used very consistently is platform engineering. So basically, the platform engineering team is responsible for providing this developer infrastructure because dev, as it, the developers are subject matter experts in writing the writing their code. 
but not configuring the infrastructure in which those, that code is run. And they don't want to do that as well. So the, the, the onus is on the platform engineering team to configure this infrastructure and so on. They do it repetitively on a daily basis for a number of um, development teams. Uh, and you know it takes, uh, it, there's some waiting time as well that's slowing the developers down. Even the de platform engineers don't like it, don't like doing the repetitive work all the time. All the uh, platform engineers, what when we speak with these platform engineers and various organizations across different industries, what we hear is they want to provide the self-service capability to the developers as well, but within some guardrails. So that is where Azure deployment environments comes in. It provides a quick and easy experience for the developers, but while at the same time ensuring that there are guardrails in place. This is something that we haven't just learned in the last two years. Uh, since we started working on it. So Azure, we spoke about Azure DevTest Labs earlier. Even in Azure DevTest Labs, through our very deep engagements with customers, the self-service capability within guard, some guardrails. That is the value prop of DevTest Labs as well for a you know, virtual machine scenario. And we are extending that concept to a co complex environment scenario as well now with deployment environments. So now, what can a platform engineer do with deployment environments? First and foremost, and they'll be able to manage their cloud engineering teams. We have this concepts of dev centers and projects. A dev center is a collection of different projects or dev teams that they would like to manage together. And a project is associated with a dev team, right? So it, uh, for a dev, it, a dev center and a project can be organized based on the org, uh, org structure of the org, uh, of the enterprise, or it might be based on some you know similar set of projects that they would like to manage together and apply similar settings. Um, and so the second, the, a platform engineer will be able to directly attach a repo containing this infrastructure as code templates, such as ARM templates or Terraform templates as a catalog in the service. The service will then scan through that repository, identify this infra as code templates and makes them available for the development teams to use. So that's an important, that's the second important aspect. This not only we have, you know, we can always ask the platform engineers to just just provide the templates directly in the service. But we we uh, we went an extra mile and providing that ability to attach that repository because this encourages inner sourcing of templates. Let's say a development team found a unique and a specific way with which the performance of their application has increased uh, by you know, let's say three times. So they can just go into that repo, make a contribution, which will be reviewed by the platform engineering team. Once they are good with it, they can just publish it. That will be made available to all the development teams in the company. This encourages inner sourcing of templates and collaboration across the organization. This is the second important thing. Third guardrails. A platform engineer will be able to configure what are the different types of environments a specific development team can create. And they'll be, for a specific development, they can, for example, they can say that, oh, I want this development team to be creating dev environment, a, a, a test environment, a staging environment, pre-prod and prod environment. For each type of environment, they'll be able to define who can create which type of environment. That is, they might allow a development team to create only a dev or a test type of environment, and they'll allow the CI/CD pipeline to be creating the higher, higher end environment that is staging, pre-prod and prod, right? And per environment type, basically per environment type based on the stage of development, like let's take an example of testing environment, right? For a testing environment, they'll be able to map what is the subscription that they'll be that will that will be used when the developer is trying to create resources. 
they will also add, they can also configure what is the managed identity that will be used to perform deployments on behalf of the developer so whenever a developer is creating an environment uh, the service is actually using managed identity behind the scenes to perform the deployment in a secure and isolated manner that is specific to that environment type that specific dev team finally a platform engineer will be able to say so let's say I'm a developer. Let's say three of us are are working on a project. We are the three three of us are developers. A platform engineering team can say that okay. So the creator of the environment will get certain level of access, and the rest of the team will get certain level of access. So let's say I go, I'm going and creating I'm going ahead and creating an environment. It can be configured in such a way that Sagar will get certain level of access, like let's say a contributor level access, some custom role, some inbuilt role. They can have multiple roles as well. And they can also say that um, Kale and Russell are collaborating on this uh, project, so they will get certain level of access. It might be uh, you know, some custom role that, that is created. So that way, when I create an environment, I need not worry about uh, what is the subscription in which the resources are getting created in or anything. I'll just I'll just say, I want this environment. This is the name of the environment. This is the project that I'm working in. This is the template that I would like to use. And this is the type of environment that I would like to create, as simple as that. And then, boom, I'll be able to just go ahead and create an environment. And automatically, the access management, everything is taken care of. And every one of us gets the access that is required for us to do the job. Finally, platform engineer will also be able to uh, once the environments are created, platform engineer will also be able to track and manage all of the environments that are created um, uh, by the developers. So you mentioned uh, that's awesome, like the way the security and permissioning has been built in. I guess the other question I would have around that is like th this platform team who's in the middle there, how are they getting alerted, for instance, if they said, hey, here's the catalog, here's all the stuff these guys can do. But how do they know what's actually going on out there? Do they have a dashboard? How do they get like ping that says, hey, Russell's dev team's going crazy. They've created like three different environments over here. What are they doing? You know? Yeah, so that's a good point. So uh, uh, that is the last aspect uh, that I was covering. Uh, I know. I, uh, so once the environments are created, uh, the platform engineering team will be able to see, view the list of all the environments that are created by the dev team, along with links to cost. There's a deep integration to cost management as well that we have provided. Like it's a deep link into cost management where um, they'll be able to analyze the costs that have been incurred for that specific environment uh, over a period of time and the expected costs and so on. So, uh, so we we look at cost management or auditing in into two different areas. One is visibility. So we are providing that visibility today so that uh, admins will be platform engineers will be able to. Um, view the different environments that are being created. They'll be able to see how many environments are being created by uh, which developer, uh, what are the types of environments that are being created, what are the costs associated uh, associated with it, and so on. So that's the visibility aspect that we have already sought. The other important uh, aspect of cost management is cost control, right? So. Uh, I, I spoke about auto expiry earlier. So that is something that we are working on where a dev, where a platform engineer can say that, again, per type of environment, they can say that the maximum lifetime of a certain environment is, let's say, 30 days. So when a developer is creating an environment, the auto expiry is automatically configured to 30 days. It's the developer's prerogative to say that, oh, 
I don't want 30 days. I just want, want it for seven days. So I will uh, decrease the auto expiry time. So I will, uh, and the developer can always set it to sooner than that, but they cannot extend it. If they want to extend it, they'll need to reach out to the platform engineering team. So that's auto expiry, right? Again, you know, self-service within guardrails. Again, I would like to emphasize that. Similarly, we are also, in your earlier example, you spoke about uh, a, a developer going and creating multiple environments and so on, right? So that's another functionality that we are working on where um, the platform engineering team will be able to control the control or configure a limit on the number of environments that the development team can create or a developer can create um, uh, in, a, in a certain project. So that is also something that we are uh, currently working on. And the best of all, that is my best cap, that, that is something Thing that I'm super excited about. Uh, we are also looking into adding a scheduled scale up and scale down functionality. Uh, that is like, especially during the nights or over the weekends, um, uh, no one is using those environments. Like, especially dev and test environments, probably no one is using them during the nights when no one is walking on during the weekends, especially assuming that there are co-located teams, but still weekends, especially no one might be using it. So we would like to support a capability where uh, the platform engineer or development team for that matter can schedule an auto scale up and auto scale down in resources. So that way during the weekends when no one is using the environments uh, environment, they will be able to automatically scale down that environment. And again, you know, Monday morning, it can again scale up. The resources can scale up. So that way they are they are um, and we are saving the cost. Uh, they and the environment need not be running in the most optimal state that is uh, during the weekend. It can have a scale down resources. So that way we will be able to save costs for the enterprise. So that is something that we are super excited and we are working towards. Seems it seems like a great tool for like inventory too. Like, because especially with large enterprises, if you go to them and say like, how many Kubernetes clusters are you running or what kind of technology are your developers using? A lot of times they don't know, and it's not because they're stupid or anything. It's just because it's so big and there's so many teams, you know, this is cool to help them kind of inventory that stuff, too, to go like, yeah, like, you know, 50 percent of our environment's using containers, you know, so like that's cool. Absolutely. It also, yeah. you know, absolutely. It actually, you know, helps with standardization across the board as well. So especially in a large enterprise that you're speaking about, like it is, you know, when we speak with the platform engineering teams or the cloud cloud center of excellence teams, they find it very hard to control uh, what are the types of resources or what are the types of infrastructure that is used to deploy certain applications. And uh, there is no... Uh, uh, and uh, they they want to standardize it, but there's no way today. But so, but with deployment environments, they'll be able to provide a set of canonical templates that the sub teams or sub organizations can use. Uh, so that way, it is standardized in a way. And as new services or new resources get introduced in the cloud, they will always be able to provide the latest set of canonical templates for them to upgrade and so on. So uh, we are also thinking about adding versioning and publishing. Mm versioning of the templates so that way when in uh, when a newer set of services are or resources are introduced they'll be able to provide and uh, provide a latest version so that the developers can or the development team can always see that there's the latest version and they can update to upgrade to it so we are also looking into semantic versioning to denote whether um it would you know it's a major version change or a minor version change so that way they will be able to like development teams will be able to understand whether they need to make changes to their application before uh, upgrading their uh, environment yeah i love this service i mean one of the reasons i love it so much actually is is working with some of the large organizations that i do i see them 
and some of their teams, their infrastructure teams, building something very similar. Um, and now you've, you're providing this. And, and this is free of charge, is that right? The actual... The best of all. Yes. Yeah, the so you just pay for the resources. That you, it's free yeah. to use. Uh, enterprises can get started with the service like right away. Uh, uh, for free, there are no addition. There is no additional charge to use Azure deployment environments. Um, they will only be paying for the services or resources that are created as part of the environment. But apart from that, they need not pay anything extra for using the service itself. Yeah, like I said, such a common thing that organizations need to to apply that governance, security, and um, the speed in which their developers can go and be productive and get stuff on demand. I mean, we've seen some examples where. People are waiting, you know, six weeks, six months sometimes for environments to get provisioned. So this is awesome. Yeah. The, the last questions I had, you've covered. So I was going to ask about cost management and what's next. And I think you've covered all those bits already. So um, I don't know, unless you've got another any other questions, Kyle. Um, thank you for, for your explanation. It's been fantastic. Really, really useful. Yeah, this is great. I think our listeners will uh, appreciate this too. So I'm glad for you going in detail about the service itself. So, and obviously, like if you have any links or anything we can share with our listeners, definitely provide those, and we'll we'll make sure they're in the show notes for the people. Absolutely. Like uh, as I mentioned, like uh, uh, two or three key things to again, you know, recap. One, the service is generally available; it's ready to use today um, for free. Um, I'll share, we went into general availability just a couple of weeks back. I'll, I will share a link to the GA blog as well, which will provide more details about the service. Um, the unknown support for Terraform, it's currently in private preview, but we'll, you'll be able to sign up uh, for early access to the, uh, for Terraform support, and we'll be able to onboard you in the next few weeks uh, onto the um, Terraform support. And finally, if if at all, if you have any questions or if you need to reach out um, for any uh, reach out, if you need any support for expediting your POCs or pilots, please feel free to directly uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn and more. And I'll be more than happy to hook you up with our customer success team and we can uh, we can help you expedite the POCs. So I'll share a link to my LinkedIn profile as well. I might take you up on that. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> it's been great. Thank you very much for your time, Sagar. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Russell and Kate. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.